Good morning. How are you this morning? Well, great, good, excellent. I'm so happy to be here with you this morning, to be worshiping together and to be up here sharing from God's word with you. I love Sundays and I love when we all come together as Christ Church to worship and to lean into his word together. So last week, Jacob introduced our new sermon series, From Garden to City, and it was so good, wasn't it? It was so good. Sure, applaud. It was so good. And so I have the privilege of carrying on with this series this morning, specifically looking at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, which is the very beginning of this book, the very beginning, which we understand and know is the creation story. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we have the creation account, the creation story. Both chapters offer insight into how God created the world and human beings. Chapter 1 is a little more orderly. It gives us the specific details of what God created first and on what day. Well, chapter 2 is a little more relational and personal, especially when it comes to God creating human beings. So these chapters do outline for us how God formed the heavens and the earth. And this is important to know for our own faith, right? Yeah? <laughs> yes. It's important to know. Why is it important to know? Well, not only does it tell us how earth and humanity came to be, but it also gives us a picture. It gives us a picture of who we were made to be and who we are made to be and how we were made to live and how we are made to live. It also clearly shows us that our God, the God of the Bible, is the one true God who created the earth and human beings with intent and purpose. For Israel, the Jewish people who were the first readers of Genesis, the creation story here set their God apart from all other um, religions and false gods that were being worshipped in their day. It was very important to them to have this knowledge and understanding of God as the one supreme creator that was unlike any of the other religions and religious beliefs in their time and culture. For us, in our culture and context, the creation account is not only foundational to our faith, it gives us assurance that we are not here by some accident, um, by some big bang happening in the cosmos thousands of years ago, or as the result of evolution. The creation account in our Bible teaches us that we were formed and created with intent and purpose by a God who desires to be in relationship with us and to walk with us in freedom and peace. So let's look into these beginning two chapters together. Thank you, John, for reading for us this morning. Appreciate that. So we're we are simply just looking at creation this morning. We will not be getting 
into the fall. We've left that for Fred next week to unpack with us. So for this morning, we are going to live in the bliss of the garden together. So in the very beginning here in Genesis chapter 1, we get a picture of how God speaks order into um, disorder and darkness. He, God speaks order and beauty and goodness into disorder and darkness. In Genesis 1 and 2, we read how the earth was formless and void, a waste and empty and in darkness. And so into this vast darkness, God creates and first he speaks light. He sees that it was good and pleasing and useful. The Amplified Translation explains to us he separates the light from darkness and we have day and night. God then creates sky or the heavens to separate from the waters. He creates dry land. Again, he sees that it's good, pleasing and useful. He affirms it and sustains it. God then creates vegetation. We read in verse 12 how the earth sprouted and abundantly produced vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit, trees bearing fruit according to their kind whose seed is in them upon the earth. God then creates light bearers, that's the sun, the moon, and stars. And the Amplified Translation says it like this, let there be light bearers to separate the day from the night and let them be useful for signs, tokens of God's provident care and for marking seasons, days, and years. Again, God's intent in creating and creation is that it's all for good. It's all for good. So picture it with me. Complete darkness. God speaks. Light comes, vegetation comes, sky, day, night, sun, moon, stars. And this all has to do with his love and care. It's all about his love and care. God then creates living creatures in the water, the birds in the sky. He sees that it's good. He affirms and sustains it and blesses it and commands the living creatures to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters and earth. Next, he creates the living creatures on the earth, all the animals and all the creepy crawly things. <laughs> You're laughing already. I'm sure we've all asked at one time or another, why on earth did God create spiders, or bees, or ticks? Some of you know my disdain and experience with ticks. Or you might have something else in mind that you wonder, why on earth did God create this? Either way, God created it all. And if you've studied environmental science, you will know everything has a role and a purpose um, to be filled by all of these creatures. So again, God creates. God creates, and it's good. Everything he creates is good. And at the end of chapter 1, verse 31, after God creates human beings, <clears throat> we read the words, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So here's 
where I want us to spend most of our time together this morning. We're going to look at God's creation of human beings and how he plants a garden for them to live in and dwell in and flourish in Eden. So let's look first at what the word says about God creating human beings. First from Genesis 1, 26 to 28, tells us this. Then God said, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our image, according to our likeness, not physical, but a spiritual personality and moral likeness. And let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over the entire earth, and over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, <clears throat> granting them certain authority, and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subjugate it, putting it under your power, and rule over Dominate the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves upon the earth. Now, Genesis chapter 2 gives us a little more personal insight into the creation of human beings. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. So what do we learn about the creation of human beings from both chapters 1 and 2? In chapter 1 is where we learn how human beings are created in God's image. And whether you've read that for yourself in the Word, um, or you're hearing it this morning, you may have heard it uh, before somewhere, but that is our understanding how we are made in the image of God. It's, it's foundational to our Christian faith. The Bible Project on day two of our YouVersion plan um, does an excellent job at visualizing this for us, this being made in the image of God. And I'm not going to reference it any more than that because it takes us further than we want to go this morning. Now, I like the Amplified translation, how it explains that being made in God's image really means that humanity bears the spiritual personality and moral likeness of God. And so we, we gather that God's intent in making human beings in his image is to have them reflect his own character in the world. Humans are to be his representatives in the world. Not in a physical appearance, but in a physical form on the earth. We learn here that human beings are really the pinnacle of God's creation. Humans are given such incredible dignity and privilege in being made in the image of of God. Later on, much later on, we read, um, you know, the Psalms from David. And in chapter 8, he reflects on God's creation of humanity and describes how we as human beings are crowned with God's glory and honor. God gives humans authority to rule over the earth and the living creatures he created. 
And so what we see here is that God creates humans as partners who he tasks with doing his work in the world. He tasks them to rule and actively participate alongside him, taking care of his creation, taking care of this good world and developing its potential. And God not only instructs the humans to care for the earth, but he instructs them to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And if you consider their being made in the image of God as they fulfill God's commands to care for his creation and to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, in their fruitfulness and in their multiplying, they are to bear God's image all over the earth. They are to reflect his character, his spirituality and morality all over the earth. In ancient times, emperors and kings sometimes had statues placed in the more remote parts of their empire, and these would be symbols displaying that these areas are under a particular emperor's or king's reign. Well, human beings then, bearing God's image and likeness, are to be living symbols of God's reign on the earth. Humans were created and made to cover the world with God's presence. Think of a new baby with me. We have babies here this morning, and we have babies on the way. It's exciting, right? Yay, babies! Um, I guarantee you that we have all said at one time or another, looking at a baby, oh, it looks just like their mom. Or, oh, it has their dad's nose. Right? We've all done that. I can guarantee you we've, we've probably all done that. And sometimes it is very visible. It's like undeniable. And other times we're like grasping at straws, trying to, you know, put something together here. It's not always that recognizable from day one. <laughs> but as the baby grows and the child matures, that image of their mother or father becomes a little more evident in them. It becomes more recognizable and not only physically, perhaps more obviously and significantly, it's more recognizable in their attitudes and expressions and mannerisms. My daughter, Hallie, is just like me. Like, she is the spitting image of me. She looks like me. She talks like me. She thinks like me. She does, you know, the things that I do that I like and I don't like. <laughs> she is... She is my daughter. There's no denying it. There are times when I might watch her react a certain way or do something, and I look at Fred like, a, can you believe this right now? And he looks at me, and he's like, yep, she's you. <laughs> she is you. And it doesn't seem to stop there. As we all know, many of us become like our parents, right? Right? Yes, I see some nods out there. 
I've heard my girls tell me before, oh, mom, that was such a Nana thing to say. Or I've heard Fred, you know, say on numerous occasions, well, it's official. I'm turning into my old man. It's official. <laughs> I share this because while we are all made in the image of God, we too have the capacity to become more and more in the image of God. We were created to reflect and mirror his attributes. And so through our spiritual disciplines, those practices of the months that we are now pursuing and incorporating into our rules of life, our spending time in the word and prayer, through all these intentional efforts we make as Christians to grow our faith, we develop and grow the image of God in us from its seed form. Remember, what we see here in the creation account in Scripture is that God brings everything into perfect order and stability. And so humanity here at the time of creation lives with God's favor. That is his blessing, and God provides what they need as they live side by side with him in complete unity. Now, where do they live with God? We learn from chapter 2, they live in the garden. So we go on to read then about how God plants a garden in the east. In Eden, which means delight, land of happiness, or in the original Hebrew, it means place of pleasure. And so God creates this garden in Eden, and he puts man there. Most scholars place the Garden of Eden in Mesopotamia, which we know as Iraq today. And I'm not going to get into speculation of its location in our modern landscape. What I'd rather spend time on this morning is what the garden actually was. Now, having that said, what we do gather from the place names that are mentioned in the scripture here is that the garden was not this some out-of-the-world place. It had soil and plants, water, trees, sweet-smelling fruit trees, and animals and birds. The garden was an area on earth, as we know it, <clears throat> reaching some named regions and rivers that still appear on our maps today. The garden and how it is visually described for us in Genesis could definitely describe the world we know and enjoy now with its rivers and lakes and greenery, trees, fruit trees, birds, animals, and so on. But there are some big differences, right? The biggest and most obvious being there's no sickness or death or hatred or injustice yet in this garden. Rather, there is freedom and peace. The garden is a shared space with God. It's the place where God dwells with humankind in perfect unity. It is a true picture my friends, of God's shalom. That is our Hebrew word for peace, health, wholeness, completeness. 
In this garden, God created a place for human beings to dwell in freedom and peace. He gave them everything they needed. The trees and fruit trees were not only pleasing to the eye, but they were food for the people. It was their nourishment. God created beauty and order. It was harmonious. God defined what was good and evil. The humans, all they have to do then is to trust in God's goodness around them. We all know from what happens next, and in our own humanity, that's easier said than done. So what we need to know this morning is that this right here in Genesis 1 and 2 is the very beginning of God's incredible love story for human beings. Out of all of creation, we see how humanity is special to God. They are different than anything else he creates. Humanity is special. They were. We are so deeply loved by God. Loved so much that God wouldn't just be humanity's creator. He would also become our redeemer. What I really want us to take away from the description of the garden this morning, friends, is that it was a real place in the past that shows us what life in our future in God's kingdom will be like. Our hope is not in something that's never been accomplished or achieved before. Our hope is that one day God will restore this right here in Genesis 1 and 2, that God will restore what has been lost, the shalom in the garden, the peace, the health, the wholeness that the first human beings experienced will be restored when Jesus comes again. Now, I know I'm supposed to stick with just creation this morning, which is kind of hard for me. But I want you to know just how significant the garden is for us in this series. It's going to come up for us again as we continue our study. So as a teaser, not a spoiler by any means, let's turn to Revelation 22, verses 1 to 2. It uses language that's descriptive of the garden. It says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, is Jesus. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing twelve crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. I'm not going to expand on that. I'm going to leave that hanging. I'm going to leave that hanging. There will be more on that to come. Now, I don't know how far you are from shalom this morning. That is experiencing God's wholeness, God's peace, and the health of your soul. 
But I do know that is what our Creator designed for us and desires for all of us. And through Jesus Christ, God's Son, shalom is possible here and now while we live our lives on this earth and ultimately, ultimately, when Jesus fully returns and completes and restores shalom. Heaven and earth will be one again and his kingdom of peace will reign. And so my encouragement, my challenge, my hope for you this morning is that you will pursue this kind of garden shalom in your own personal life, in your walk with Jesus, in your relationship with him, in your relationship with others. I encourage you to be pursuers and advocates of shalom in our prayerful conversations with Jesus for our own well-being and in our conversations and interactions with others. May we truly bear God's image and grow that image so that we can reflect his character wherever we are and partner with him in caring for his creation that includes the earth and all other human beings, doing all that we can to restore his shalom here and now. What does it look like? How do we live this out? How do we even begin to restore this kind of garden shalom? I truly believe that if we allow Christ through his Holy Spirit to cultivate the fruits of the Spirit in us, kindness, gentleness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, love, joy, peace, this, my friends, is how we bear his image in our world today. It's how we can restore shalom in our relationships with others and in our world. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And we'll, let's pray together. Dear God, we want to just give you thanks today. Thank you for your word, for your truth, particularly for what we learn about you in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 today. We learn that you are a loving God who created humanity, who created each and every one of us in this room with purpose and intent. God, you have shown us just the beauty and the goodness and the peace and freedom and love that you've created and that you desire for us to experience today, but ultimately, God, when you return, when your son Jesus returns. I pray that as we just live out this journey of faith, God, that we would truly reflect your character, your spirit, 
God, wherever we find ourselves, at home, in our neighborhood, at the store, at school, at work, wherever, God, you place us, I pray that we would bring your image, your spirit, your likeness into all of it. God, help us to be pursuers and advocates of shalom, of your peace, your health, God, your wholeness. Help us to share that with others. And God, where we know shalom is broken, because we know that it is. When it's personal and when there's brokenness in our midst, help us as your body, as your bride, as your partners, as your image bearers, God, to work to restore your peace, your health, your wholeness in all of our relationships and in this world that you have blessed us with. Help us to be faithful in not only bearing your image, but in caring for this world, caring for life on this planet, creation, God, and human beings, help us. Help us, God, to just bear your image all over this world. Thank you for my church family today. Thank you for the blessing of church and the gift of church family that we have each other to walk this journey of faith with. And we have each other to um, go out into the world with, bearing your image. We love you, and we thank you, God, for the love that you have given to us, that you long to cover us with and fill us with. May we always walk in your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.